0: Welcome to Positively Leading, the podcast that's all about helping you grow your resilience, leadership and influence. I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Howling, and each week we will be diving into a variety of topics related to leadership, communication and personal growth. From feedback and accountability to diversity and inclusion, we'll explore the skills and strategies that you need to become a more effective leader. So whether you are looking to improve your communication skills, build stronger relationships with your team, or simply become more confident in your role. Join me on this journey of growth and discovery, and let's get Positively Leading. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Positively Leading. Now, in today's episode, we are going to be digging deep into the science of habits and successful change. But before we do, let me ask you a few questions. Did you know that 82% of New Year's resolutions fail by the end of January? And 23% don't even last a week. A whopping 92% of enthusiastic weight loss program participants drop out before they reach their goals. And did you know that 100 million people enroll in online courses every year, but just 10% complete them? And did you know that from an organizational perspective, up to 70% of change initiatives fail? Now, staggering stats, and I'm curious if you can relate to any of this, whether it's an experience managing change at work or perhaps in your personal life. I know that I can, because when we are involved in change projects, whether that's introducing a new performance management system, a new learning program, or just getting fitter, change can sometimes feel really hard. Now, we are going to be exploring managing and leading change from an organizational perspective in a future episode. But today, our focus is on you, on self-leadership, how to change and create habits for success. And today's episode is also designed to help you not just in your leadership, but also in your personal life too, because we are just one whole person, right? Now, as I said, change can seem hard. We set out with good intentions, but things can often get in the way. We then, or at least I do, beat myself up about it. I might open another box of chocolates and vow to do better tomorrow, but I never quite do. And we think that change and building new habits is about willpower, but that's actually only a really small part of the equation. Now today we're going to explore together how to build positive, powerful habits in an effortless way no willpower, no pushing through, by actually making things work for us rather than against us. And this is, as I said, the stuff that you can apply in your leadership and also in your life. So today we're going to be covering a few need-to-know essentials about our brains, how habits are formed and why it can seem difficult to make changes. And then we're going to look at five powerful strategies For building new habits and positive, long-lasting change. Sound good? I hope so. Well, let's dive straight in with the need-to-know essentials about our brains. First of all, our brains are wired for survival and they are very good at it. Now, our brain's job is to move us away from threat or pain or discomfort and its job is to move us towards rewards or pleasure. Now, in prehistoric times, the threat response, our fight, flight or freeze, this kept our ancestors safe from saber-toothed tigers. And this threat response is still really strong for us now. And it served a really, really powerful evolutionary purpose, right? But still now, it has an impact. And both the reward and threat response matter to our brains and they can impact us both physically and mentally. But the thing here is our threat response is far more important and far stronger in us. So compared with the reward response, the threat response kicks in faster, is much stronger, it lasts for longer, it can increase our heart rate, it can increase the cortisol that we have in our body, the stress hormone, and it actually can reduce dopamine, which is something we do want in our bodies, right? (laughs) Whereas the reward response, on the other hand, is much slower to be activated. It's milder, it's shorter lived, and actually this one can increase the feel-good factor of dopamine. Now, if we think about this from a work perspective for a moment, think about a time when you've received an email complaining, or you receive some critical feedback. That emotion hits, really physically and mentally. Maybe your heart rate increases, your blood is pumped around your system much faster, And your thinking brain can shut down, so it's much harder to think clearly. And these feelings, both mentally, emotionally and physiologically, can remain with you for hours. That's the threat response. On the other hand, think of an email or a comment that you had that was praising your work. Now that's a nice feeling, but it doesn't have any way near the same impact on us. Now, we don't have to deal with saber-toothed tigers nowadays, but our brains are subconsciously, constantly on the lookout for threats and rewards, especially threats. And change can be seen as a threat because it's new, it's different, and it's unknown. Now, the second thing we need to know about our brains is that our brains are prediction machines. They are constantly trying to predict what's going to happen. They want to make sense of things. And this again stems from the brain's drive to protect us. So if it can protect us from what's going to happen, it's in a better place to guard us. So it wants to predict that. Now prediction also helps us to make our decisions much faster, subconsciously even, with less energy and effort. But if we think about why prediction is important to us in change, well, because change involves uncertainty and often not knowing information, then this stops our brains from doing what they like. Predicting. (laughs) So your brain can get really anxious and really tired because it needs to work overtime. And this takes us to the third thing we need to know, and that's our brains want to conserve energy and take shortcuts. Now our brains take up around 20% of our energy and they want to conserve this. Now because of this, they tend to be quite lazy And this can lead to reflexive thinking, or what Daniel Kahneman calls system one thinking. It's instinctive, automatic, and mainly from our subconscious, rather than our system two thinking, which is where we're engaging our prefrontal cortex and our logical thinking brain. So when the brain conserves energy in this way, using system one thinking, it can leave us open to making mistakes and taking the easy route, the well-travelled route, And in my situation, if I'm trying to make healthy changes, the route to chocolate. But now for some good news. And I hear you say, finally, Sarah, finally some good news. And that is that neuroplasticity is real. So whereas in the past we used to think or we used to believe that once we'd reached the age of 25, the brain had peaked. Well, neuroscience has shown that it actually has the ability to continue to learn and to restructure. So even though change is hard, we can get there. And Hebb's law, which says basically (laughs) cells that fire together, wire together. And this is really around the constant communication between two neurons in our brain, and it leads them to forge stronger connections. So what this means is with repetition, we can build helpful neural pathways. But what does this actually mean? Well, When we're thinking about these things, we can actually beat ourselves up for not being motivated enough or not having enough willpower. And we think it's our fault. We think, oh, you know, there must be something wrong with me. When actually, from what we've just seen or heard, (laughs) when we think about the things we need to know about our brains, actually some really fundamental things, the way our brains are wired, things are stacked against us. And if we can understand this and learn a variety of different tools to support us in making change, then we can make change an easier process. And that's what we're going to look at in about five minutes or so. (laughs) But before we do, there's something else that's really key to help us to understand as well. And that's how habits are formed. Now, one of the challenges of changing behaviour is that we have really well ingrained habits, which are often not the best for us. And we might need to replace a bad habit with a good habit or a positive habit, one that serves us better. But how do we actually do that? Well, habitual behaviour is driven in part by reward loops in our brains. And these reward loops include cues, routines and rewards. So cues signal the brain that a particular action is required. And this often occurs subconsciously, so we might not even be aware of triggers or when they occur. And then our routines are established behaviours, and this is often associated with a cue. And then the rewards provide a signal to our brains that the action was a good one, which then reinforces the behaviour over time. So, for example, you might have a habit of eating ice cream when you watch TV. So you may come home from work, turn on the TV, and the next thing you know, you've eaten a tub of ice cream. And I'm wondering now if maybe that is just me. I don't know. But that's how it's working, the reward loop. The cue is turning on the TV. The behavior is eating the ice cream. And then that then triggers feel-good sensors in the brain, rewarding the behavior. And these loops can make it really challenging to change our behavior. Remember, the brain, it likes patterns predictability, and it likes to take us towards pleasure. So if we think about that, cue, routine, and reward. Other examples in our day-to-day life might be in the morning, let's say cue, waking up. Behaviour, get out of bed, make a cup of coffee. Reward, we are alert and ready to face the day. That's another example of automated behaviours that we've learnt from time and also from experience. And remember, neuroplasticity, those neurons have fired together so many times that they're now wired together and that habit is formed and it's run mainly by our subconscious mind and actually probably 90% of our daily actions are. And then the final thing that works against us is that these habits can get really sticky, really ingrained. Because the habits that we have, these create cravings for the reward because that releases the dopamine. And then this reinforces the link between cue and reward every time that loop is completed. And this is why it can seem really difficult to make change. And it can be even more difficult sometimes to build habits. Because here's what normally happens when we want to make a change. We identify something we're not happy with or maybe something we want more of. We think of a goal and we set it really clearly. We visualize success. We get motivated. We might set ourselves a few targets. We might break it down into mini goals and off we go. So let's say for example, I want to lose weight and I set my goal as 50 pounds by January, 2024. I can visualize success. I might want to create a vision board. I might hang a dress that I want to fit into in clear sight in my wardrobe and I'm motivated. But £50 is quite a big goal, and six months is a long time. So I'm going to break it down to £8 a month, and then I'm going to set myself some actions. No chocolate, reduce carbs, exercise five times a week, and I have a bit of a penchant for pretty stationery, so I'm going to get myself a pretty notebook, and I'm going to write it all out, and I'm going to start on Monday. And things go really well for five days, but then a few things slip, and I start to think, what's the point? And I start again next Monday. And then this can become a habit. Try, fail, try, fail, give up. And usually for a few months, I go through the whole routine again and again. But every time this sense of failure is deepening this habit, this bad habit that I've created. And I start to feel much worse about myself. Now it happens because I take on too much. And then when I don't achieve it, I feel like I've failed. And no matter how good I am at visioning, I can get stuck in the fail. Because when we're in that moment, you know, it's the fail now, pay later mindset. What's one bar of chocolate? What's one more evening watching television? You know, one won't matter. So it's not thinking about the health implications of 20 years time, but thinking about the now. And we think it's about motivation. But motivation can only help us to do hard things once, not consistently. So it's okay for one-off feats, but it's not enough for sustained change. Now, one of the books I've been reading over the summer, or in this case, rereading, is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he says, Habits are like the atoms of our lives. Each one is a fundamental unit that contributes to your overall improvement. Wow. (laughs) Now, I love that that quote, that statement there. And you may have heard of the British cycling team and how it all changed for them back in 2003 because they embarked on a new performance plan. They had a new director and he began with the aggregation of marginal gains. And he was searching for a tiny margin of improvement in everything. So micro adjustments from bike seats to alcohol on the tyres to the fabric of the kit. And over time this grew and grew until they became hugely successful. And while small changes, let's say 1%, is not particularly notable or even noticeable in the moment, it can make a huge difference over the time. So in my case, I have ditched the £50 and six month plan. It hasn't worked for the last 10 years, so I may as well, right? And I'm focusing on daily habits, tiny, tiny tweaks and building them up. So I'm increasing my water intake, I'm keeping my phone out of my bedroom, which then prevents any early morning doom scrolling. I'm breaking that habit and I'm replacing it with a new one, which is getting up, meditating and 10 minutes of yoga. And these tiny habits, these tiny tweaks to life, these seem doable. These are manageable. So let's think about what you can do and let's think about some strategies now. Now, first of all, we need to recognise everything I've just shared around why change is hard. And we need to get out of the, the, it must be me trap, you know, because we think when we can't do something, oh, it must be me. I don't have enough motivation. I don't have enough willpower. Well, we are not the problem. Our approach to change is, and it's a design flaw, not a personal flaw, because for long term behaviour change, we need to work in three areas. Physical environment, social environment, and behavior change. So we're going to first start off with three strategies to set yourself up for success with your physical and social environment. Now, the first strategy is change surroundings. So let's say, like me, you want to eat more healthily. So leave healthy snacks out so you can see them and remove unhealthy snacks from your house. If you want to finish writing the action plan for your team, but you keep getting interrupted, then close all comms on your laptop. Put your phone in another room and switch off any and all notifications. So change your surroundings. We often don't think about shifting our environment. The second strategy is to reduce friction. So want to go running every day? Then leave your running gear laid out by your bed and then get dressed into it straight away. Or be like Barack Obama who only wore grey or blue suits because he didn't want to make decisions about what he was wearing each day. He had so many decisions to make, he wanted to increase his ability to make them, so he reduced the friction by removing the what-to-wear decision. And the third strategy is find allies, not accomplices. So if you want to help implementing a change plan, then find yourself an accountability buddy and brief them with exactly what you need them to do to support. Want to step into a new role or a new leadership role? Then surround yourself with people who are already there or those are supportive of your goals. So those three strategies here are around the social environment and your physical environment. And they are three simple ones that we often overlook. Now if we think about behavioural change itself, two strategies for you here. The first is habit stacking. So if you remember how habits are formed, cue, behaviour, reward. So habit stacking is where you take an existing cue and behaviour and you stack another healthier one onto it. And this idea is from BJ Fogg and he's a behavioural scientist And he went from zero push-ups a day to over 100 a day. And over time, he lost weight, changed his physique and improved his health. Well, you may ask, how did he do that? I want some of that. Well, he took an everyday cue and behavior and he stacked push-ups onto it. He decided that every time he went to the toilet, after he flushed the toilet, he did two push-ups. So every time. Toilet, flush, two push-ups. Toilet, flush, two push-ups. And he increased it little by little, every single time. So after a month or so, he was doing lots of push-ups every single day. And habit stacking is quite simple. You just create a plan. So after I, existing behavior, I will, tiny new behavior. So as we've seen, after I flush the toilet, I will do two push-ups. After I wash my face in the morning, I will put on sunscreen. When I'm cleaning my teeth, I will stand on one leg. Now, all of that sounds great, but we've got the final part of the loop, which is the reward. The reward is needed to help the brain close that habit loop. And this is what we often forget. So we need to celebrate. Now, that might just be something really silly. It might be a little dance, a smile, a little, yay, I'm awesome. And you might feel daft doing it, but in doing so, you will increase dopamine, And your brain starts to think, ooh, I like this. And then you do it enough times, that is linked with the cue and the behavior, and you are on your way to building a habit. And remember, it's the dopamine that makes it sticky. And then our second strategy, I love, this is from another book I've read over the summer, Magic Words by Jonah Berger. And this is about how habits are much easier to form when they become part of our identity. The being rather than doing. So we want to create an attachment to the habit in our brain. And we can do this by changing who we are, not just what we do. So decide on the person you want to be and then prove it to yourself with small wins. So this would be rather than saying, I want to lose weight, which is a do. We might say, I want to become a slim person, a be. I want to find a new job, a do. I want to be a leader. That's the B. I want to create a podcast. That's the do. I want to be a podcaster. That's the B. And in a similar vein, my mantra for a rather important summer project for me, I want to write a book. That's the do. Versus I want to be a writer. So that's a key one here, going from doing to being. Now, as we reach the end of the episode, let's have a quick recap. We've looked at some need-to-know essentials about our brains. They're wired for survival. They're prediction machines. They want to conserve energy. And actually, we can change. We just need to know how. We know how habits are formed. Cue, behavior, reward, and the habit loop. And we know why it can seem difficult to make change That's because we're doing it in an old school way. And we've looked at five powerful strategies for building new habits and for positive, long-lasting change. Three for our physical and social, so change your surroundings, reduce friction and find allies, not accomplices. And then the second, behavior change, habit stacking and be, not, do. So I'm really curious what your takeaways are from today's episode. And I want you just to think of your daily habits. What daily habits do you have that are serving you? What habits do you have that are not serving you? And then what will you put into practice to build better habits, either in leadership or in life? Now, as always, I am cheering you on from here. And I look forward to seeing you or being with you in an episode coming up soon. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Positively Leading. I hope you found it helpful in your journey to becoming a better leader. And if you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback not only helps me grow, but also helps others discover the podcast and join our community of positive leaders. And if you'd like to work with me, you can head over to sarahowling.com to find out how. Thanks once again for listening, and remember, the world needs more brilliant leaders just like you, so keep on positively leading.